You're live with The App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We're actually uh, been hanging out in Vegas this week for a big Amazon conference, AWS, Amazon Web Services, not Amazon Prime or Amazon Prime Video. This is kind of uh, their web and cloud division. They do over $80 billion a year in just web services. So companies uh, like major airlines, Netflix, major league sports teams, aerospace, robotics firms all use Amazon to kind of power their their websites, their cloud services. It's really kind of crazy how many people are down for the show as well, over 50,000 people. Yeah, and what's really cool is we get to talk to a lot of really interesting people that are doing really cool stuff in the cloud um, uh, from all kinds of different industries. On today's show here on the App Show, we're going to be talking with Liam Maxwell. He's the Director of Digital Transformation for Amazon Web Services. This guy is fascinating, uh, John. Uh, He is basically in charge of getting these services out to governments around the world. And they've done some fascinating stuff, really helpful stuff for the government and the people of uh, Ukraine. We'll also be talking uh, with Jennifer Langton. She is the Senior Vice President of Player Health and Innovation for the NFL. Uh, Just how they're using technology to keep their players healthy and safe. Uh, But let's uh, talk about Ukraine and what's happening there and how Amazon is helping them. We've got Liam Maxwell with us today. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. What's your role at Amazon Web Services? My role is I'm the I lead the government transformation business, so I help government leaders uh, and, uh, and and senior civil servants um, with their modernization programs and help them move faster. So, you know, we're all following this this conflict uh, over there. How fast did Amazon get involved? So. So I had a meeting on the uh, on the day of the invasion with the uh, ambassador to Ukraine in London. I'm, I'm based Are in you London. On speed dial? How does that work? And uh, well, we've, we you know we've met, we're friends, we we, we link up, and um, we've been talking to them already because Ukraine is actually one of the great stars of digital government. They've had a, a really reforming minister since 2019 who enabled them to move onto a smartphone on a state on a smartphone app. Which, which many governments have had a go at, but few have succeeded. They've really succeeded. So when you say so got, uh, the government on an app, what does that mean? It's an app on your phone, and yeah. it enables you to, it registers you, and then it enables you to interact with the state in a, in a digital way, and services in, 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 in that way. So you can register your payments and get paid. So when, to give you an example, when the invasion happened, DIA, this app, enabled them to start making their payments and social security payments to people outside the country because they had the app. Yeah. And so it's a way, once you've identified a Ukrainian citizen, they get access to all of their services through a smartphone. The, the, it streamlines and means that you're, you've got a state which is really, really powerful in, ter- in, in terms of delivering the, 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 the services to their citizens. So it means that they're one of the few governments in the world where they've changed the, the digital technology has changed the relationship between the citizen and the state so that they meet the citizens' needs. It's, it's really, really powerful and really impressive. Yeah, I just want to dig into like wh- how you guys have helped this country. Because, yeah. you know, again, a lot of the listeners, when we say Amazon, they think of Amazon Prime and getting their packages. And, uh, you know, maybe some of them are using Amazon Prime Video. But, you know, just the AWS, the AWS side, the web services side, is an enormous part of the company with the cloud services and, the, you know, over 200 different services. So 
you you have contact with the Ukraine government on the first day of the conflict. Yeah. And What's we, the first thing you do? We sat down and, and worked out how can we help the government become more resilient, move itself into the cloud, because it's very difficult to physically attack the cloud. So it's a safe place for them, and the security that we provide means that they will have security to run their state and be backed up into the cloud. Because if they have all their information on servers <clears throat> in Ukraine, that's not good. There was a cruise missile strike quite yeah. quite soon after the invasion started, um, which was, you know, would take out a data center. And, once, and, and so the cloud, because it's... It's it's not it's it's very very difficult to target. It means you're much much safer, and you're and because you get the security that you get in the cloud, you get you actually can increase your security profile in the process. So, you know, some some countries are hesitant to have their information outside of their country. Obviously, yeah. that wasn't much of a choice here. Well, yes, but I'm going to give you an example. I was the chief technology officer for the British government for um, for a period, and we moved into the cloud in 2013. Yeah. And there was no AWS installation in the UK then, it was in Ireland. But because of the security model with AWS, we were able to move our data and be certain we were looking after it. But it was being looked after properly and it was safe and secure, but we had the access to the data as the, as the government, as the customer, because we had the keys. The cloud provider doesn't have the keys. So it means that you can store data in a different country and still maintain your sovereignty and your control over it. So. This is kind of an important thing for people to understand about data. Like, what, what, and why is the data important? Like, well, what kinds of data? So, going the, the government. Going back to about? the going back to the uh, the description we had. If you've got an app and the smartphone data is there, the registries, you know, the population register, the land register, the register of people who've paid tax and the register of people who haven't paid tax, the criminal records register. Those are the core components of a state, and. The, although DIA uses access to those apps, to, the, to those data registries, securing them was absolutely fundamental to securing the state and securing the integrity of the state of, of, of Ukraine. And that's what we helped them do. Because if that data was on servers, cruise missile strike, yeah. does that... Or, or a power strike nearby, which yeah. takes out the you know takes out the service the, the services. Yes, that's 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 exactly it. That's so we a, need to. That's a huge blow to the. You need to have the resilience. Yeah. Uh, and cloud gives you a much much greater level of resilience than having different sites of your own at that point. So yeah, on the first day of the invasion, we went. I mean, the ambassador in London is a great guy. He we had we had a he maybe he made us some soups and borscht. Which was uh, great. We sat down, had lunch, wrote down what are the things we're going to need to do, how are we going to move them, and then I went back to the office. Um, a couple of my colleagues and I sat down, worked out we need to do a data migration, so we ordered three snowballs. Okay, what's a snowball? So snowballs are is think of it like this: it's it's about the size of a suitcase. It's um, it's a massive memory store, so it's about eighty terabytes. So like a massive zip, um, a USB drive but with connectivity, so it has edge connectivity inside it as well, so it enables you to operate and deliver the cloud, but in a small environment and, and a low connectivity environment. So we picked up three of those. They're very rugged. Yeah. So we picked up three of those, put them on the trolley, got onto a plane, uh, flew via Amsterdam to Krakow, and the Krakow, they came off and we gave them to the uh, to some Ukrainian officials who then stuck them in the back of a car and zipped them across the and, border. And so them to Ukraine. Yeah, to Kiev. So by Saturday night, they're in Kiev. <coughs> Monday morning, we started the, you know, they, they got the installation. Monday morning, we started helping the, uh, the engineers in Kiev do their data, data migration. So you've sent these three 
suitcases. <laughs> three, it was three, three to begin with, yeah. 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 And that's, these things, you migrated all their government data. That helped with the migration the process. registries, yeah. land Why is land titles important? Because um, if a country gets invaded, you want to know what the state of play was before the invasion so you can move back to it. Yeah. Um, the property talking, register is really important. We're talking with Liam Maxwell from Amazon Web Services uh, about Amazon's uh, help and involvement in the Ukraine uh, war conflict. We are going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to learn more about uh, what they are doing to help. Back after this. You're back with the program. Mike and John here having a fascinating conversation with Liam Maxwell from Amazon Web Services about what Amazon uh, did and are currently doing in Ukraine to help that government continue to essentially fight on and uh, you know protect their territory. Uh, Liam, before the break there, you talked about these, uh, these suitcases called snowballs. Uh, how long have these things been around and what else are they used for? So we use them for um, distributed, um, where you have distributed um, uh, installations in, say, I mean, think about a cruise ship or think about uh, in disaster response when we need to put together um, connectivity really quickly. In fact, part of the connectivity used by the UN and Help NGO in Poland to put together the disaster response for Ukraine was also done using snowballs in, in the field. So they're so these they're, are these are kind of sort of like computer storage. bring cloud to, bring yeah. cloud to remote and difficult challenging environments with a very rugged um, with a you know, really rugged uh, piece of kit. How important do you think it is for Ukraine, the people, the government, to have this type of technology? You know, we saw with Elon Musk and Starlink, you know, providing the the satellite internet as yeah. well. What what is your thoughts if if they didn't have access to this technology, where would they be right now? Um, backing I mean, that's, up would have yeah, it's a really it's it's a sort of I can't think of the counterfactual. I mean, it, it helped the Ukraine it helped the Ukrainian teams back up. They they did also use connectivity to get out. I mean, we helped extract ten petabytes of data, so it's not all been on the snowballs. Yeah, but the snowballs were the the sort of like the first stage of getting this moving. And um, Adam Slepsky did a, um, in his keynote, he mentioned the Privat Bank, which is the main bank in Ukraine, moving them into the cloud as well. Um, that was done not using the snowballs, that was done using, um, using uh, connectivity. And they did that in uh, 45 days. I mean, amazing to move a bank completely from into the cloud in that time. Does this, do you think this is going to have any kind of an impact? I, I think it will. on maybe other countries yeah. and because you've basically made a template now for how to do this exactly but also i think even in a non-conflict state it it can prove that the cloud can work for maybe countries that maybe don't want to go to the cloud um the thing that's really helped us identify is how to enable continuity of government. People, as you saw through COVID, every, one of the big things, governments moved amazingly quickly and smoothly in COVID, but one of the things they also did was they were there. They were present and available and working, and that's how governments earn trust with their citizens, that they're there for them. Uh, and so having continuity of government is a really important component of government. And that's why we've, I mean, and the, the, this conference this week, we've launched a continuity of government service, which is a, a set of, a, as you say, a set of templates of how to move your government to a more resilient state using the cloud. And we now have um, 
uh, a couple of governments we're working with directly on this now who are peacetime governments that are concerned and want to make sure that they're in a position to have that continuity. We've got another couple of governments coming to us um, as well where we're in the early stages of talking to them about it. And yes, it's a really strong power, you know, approach to it. If you think about people have thought about having things like data embassies for years. This now gives people the opportunity to have that what's, service. What's a data embassy? You can store your data. So the Estonian government uh, store their core data um, in a very secure site outside Estonia. Um, and they know they've, had, they've got like the ability to do that. photos almost. Well, actually, the, I mean, yes, it is. I mean, when, when, when uh, Estonia's been doing it for years because they, I mean, they used to just burn it onto a DVD and put it on the ferry to Helsinki <laughs> in the early days. Um, but, but they've, because, you know, governments like Estonia are really, I mean, they're very technically savvy, they're very tech-enabled, but they also are very sure they, the, the, their citizens rely on their state. And they're very sure to make sure that that relationship is strong and trusted. And so that's one of the core components of, of, of their approach. And it's an approach which other governments are now looking for, for. I mean, from Pacific Island states to states who feel they may be under threat from cyber attack to states that feel they may be under you know, um, attack from, from, from all kinetic forms. That's, that's really where continuity for their citizens is one of their main priorities. And, and the cloud can help them do that. So you said you talked about banks getting up there. Yeah. Are all the banks in the cloud now in Ukraine? No, I don't think so. No. Um, but it's, but it's, they probably need to be. Well, yeah, I think, I think if you think about it, everybody needs to have that level of resilience because citizens expect that level of resilience from the companies that work with them. You, know, you don't expect to go online and find one of the... You, know, you, don't, you, you go... To, to, to an online shopping channel and you know, we go to an online shopping service and you want to be able to make sure it's there and it, does, it works for you and everyone expects that now. So if you're a government and you're delivering services in, on, in, in, you know, to your citizens, the government, you know, people expect that to be there and that's why, you know, going back to the conversation we had earlier about DIA and this amazing app that um, they've, they've built in, uh, in, in, in Ukraine, um, the citizens now rely on that. It's, it's a core part of what they do, and they rely on it for education, they rely on it for payments, they rely on it for demonstrating their identity. I mean, I think um, the, the Digital Minister, Mikhail Fedorov, was with us here talking about how, um, you know, how, how this worked. And I think today he launched, they launched, I, I may be wrong, this is when it's Thursday, I think, today, but they, um, I think they were launching a, um, uh, a mortgage application service on DIA this week. So even in the middle of Ukraine, yes, yeah, so in the middle of a war, they are doing. And this is the thing. This is why the the Ukrainians are so cool is because they've been doing all of this in the middle of a war, and that's just been unbelievably powerful. And just their just their courage has been something. Their courage to go and do this really um, innovative exploratory work in the middle of a war to help the war effort and to maintain the continuity of government and maintain Ukraine has been, you know, um, I mean, utterly, um, it's so impressive. So going through this whole process, what, what was the most challenging thing? Like, it's not easy moving an entire government um, digitally. I think, to begin with, it was, it was just making sure that we could get the skills into country. I mean... AWS skills were quite prevalent within um, the private sector yeah. in, in Ukraine. 
Uh, but within the public sector, they weren't so much. And so it's been helping people understand, helping people get the skills, helping people move forward. Uh, we've committed also, I mean, we have a very large skills and training and certification business within AWS where we help millions of people get on get the skills to deliver modern technology. IT skills. IT skills. Yeah. So we launched a program in um, Poland um, for the ref- for refugees from or displaced people from Poland and, and, and in Ukraine, so people have been displaced to another part of Ukraine. Um, called IT Skills for You. We had 11,000 people sign up to that pretty much instantly, and we're looking to work you know, more effectively with that because that gives the access to more skills, gives you access to better employment, gives access to better wages, which means that you get uh, governments get more taxes. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a virtuous circle. Do these citizens pay for that? How does that work? <clears throat> we're, no, we're giving this away. Okay. It's part of one, it's one of the... I mean, at AWS and at Amazon, we have... Um, uh, given time, money, devices, things to um, Ukrainian charities and Ukrainian um, foundations and also um, the people helping Ukraine uh, across the piece. And, and a lot of the work about this transformation that we've been talking about and the migration has been my colleagues working their spare time to help. Um, so we've, it's, been a real, it's been a real community effort from Amazon and from AWS and I'm just one of the thousands of people that's been working on this. We are going to have to take a break right now. When we come back, a little more chat about uh, Ukraine and uh, what Amazon is doing to help that government and their people. You are back with the program. I can John here in Vegas. We're talking with Liam Maxwell. Uh, fascinating conversation about how Amazon Web Services uh, is helping the Ukrainian people and governments get all their information and communication happening up in the cloud. What are some of the challenges that uh, lie ahead, Liam? And yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's a. Uh, I think a lot of the time, if you speak specifically about Ukraine, they they have a very highly educated the, the education system in Ukraine and the ability and the the technical education in Ukraine, and particularly maths teaching in Ukraine, means they're in a fantastic position to make the most of the digital economy, and so helping them make the most of the skills in the digital economy is something that we're all very um, excited about and we have lots of ways of helping them do that so that's one part of it um, and, and they are you know the um, it's, it's, there's a very rich heritage there to, to build on so that's that's one part of it I think building a more effective digital government and working with them on deer is where they're teaching us how to do it in some ways they're really really understand their understanding of how to build apps how to do things quickly how to add things on there quickly is really powerful um and then i think there's a huge general reconstruction program for when this is over where it'll be fascinating to see how the country rebuilds um and we would like to work you know obviously we, we'll work with them but we'll also like to work with other organizations that can help them rebuild. I mean, places like um, um, Mariupol and the, where, you know, where the, the great steelworks, the Azovstal steelworks were, um, have been leveled. You're going to need to rebuild the yeah. city from scratch. So yeah. how do you rebuild that as the most digitally effective city is a really uh, you know, interesting challenge, and, and I'm sure. And that's, that's also the thing that their vision and you know the Department of Digital Transformation's vision in Ukraine is 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 really at play there, and I, and, and I suppose the way of describing that is 
Can you imagine a digital government built by and digital state built by people who know what they really know what they're doing? <laughs> right? That's what the future is for Ukraine. Yeah, and that's why it's so exciting to look at what they're doing. Yeah, they, could, they, they, they could do it right. They know what they're doing. Yeah, they they're doing do it, right. it right, and it's and it's 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 just been humbling to just sit and listen to what they're doing and how they're doing it, and then take a deep breath and think. You know, since 2014, that country's had an invasion. In the last 10 months, there's been a full-scale invasion of, of their country. And yet they're doing all of this. And one of the things that they also want to give back is, you know, we all believe in open source in government. Though. You know, governments don't compete. Yeah. The government, of, the government of Norway doesn't build a driver license service for Sweden. Yeah. Well, they do exactly the same thing. So those components can work together, and we did that with, um, uh, when I was in the British government, we did that with the website, we did that with notification for COVID, so the COVID notification system that was used in Canada is in fact originally British, but yeah. you share it because it's open sourced. So the Ukrainians are now saying, look, we've, we've managed to understand this, we've cracked this, we can help other governments around the world do that, and that's part of their way of giving something back, is to contribute to, uh, and contribute how dear uh, can be used by other governments. And I think that's a really powerful approach. I just think that's really interesting because the, you know, COVID sort of proved that stuff could still work. Yeah. But at the same time, the situation over there proved that they can do it and do it better. There's no excuse anymore for other countries to not have those features and functionalities in their apps and that type of thing. Which is why we, uh, so my team, was, who are, my team is there to help government leaders accelerate their modernization programs. Yeah. You know, they're going to modernize, but we can help them do it faster by helping them break through the barriers. And I'm a former civil servant, like all of my colleagues in my team. We've delivered nation-scale reform. So we help people with that. One of the things that open source brings, and, and you're right, is it gives the opportunity for people to go and share the things that work. The problem is, where do you look? Because yeah. where do you do it? So that's why we have we curated... I mean, it's a simple curation page on the AWS website, which enables people to see all of the things that one government has used that another government has taken and used themselves with an open source license. And so that's really, really powerful. There's 110 services, well, 111 services on there now. Uh, it's called Open Government Solutions. And it's just a place to go and find the things that we have seen as we go around the world that have worked. And therefore, if you're a government reformer and you think, well, actually, I need to have a notification service so I can tell people where, you know, that their, 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 their bin collection form is ready, go and use Notify. It's up there. And you can just use that quickly, effectively, and it just docks into your architecture. So you don't need to go and build something new. Oh, if it was that simple. Because it's already there. <laughs> well, but, but really bluntly, technically, if you're building it that way, it is. And there are services there that are everything from... We discovered an open source way of using um, an open source service that enables you to analyze a cough from somebody who's made in Buenos Aires. And it enables you to, um, you know, that's been used by other governments around, so you can actually spot the, 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 you know, the trace signs of COVID in a cough. Experimental, but seems to be working. Uh, there's um, government websites, there's a digital marketplace to do all your government procurement services using open source code from multiple governments around the world. So it's, it's, it is a way of helping. Um, governments learn from each other and work with each other and what that does enable you to do is, is move move faster um, and uh, and that ultimately is where I think governments are now moving 
are now starting to realize that if you use the cloud as your basis, all of these capabilities are open and available to you. And they're also open and available to you on a pay-as-you-go basis even, or an open source basis. So you don't have to have that massive capital expenditure that you used to get in government where you know, I need 100 million to build a data center and 100 million to set up this. And it's just, it's already there. Yeah. Just go and leverage that. And you know, give you an example in Canada, you've already got AWS regions in Canada. You can all do this um, and leverage it. And, do our and politicians know how to use the internet? We've been talking with Liam uh, Maxwell from uh, Amazon Web Services uh, about what they've been doing in Ukraine and just in general with governments uh, and the cloud. I want to thank you for joining us today, Liam. Thanks very much for having me. When we come back from the break, a little more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike and John here down in Las Vegas having a good time at the Amazon Web Services Conference. It's called reInvent AWS. And we're going to talk... Uh, technology when it comes to sports and specifically the NFL, very popular uh, sports uh, league here in North America and around the world for that matter. They uh, are using technologies and Amazon uh, services to help player health, to keep them uh, from getting injured. That's the goal. We've uh, got a great guest. Her name is Jennifer Langton. She is the Senior Vice President of Player Health and Innovation for the NFL. So what does the Senior Vice President of Health and Innovation do? So um, I lead our engineering. One, it's a pleasure to be here, so thank you for inviting me. Um, I lead our engineering efforts and our innovation platform as it relates to advancing the health and safety of our players. So what does that mean? I have the opportunity to tap into the most brilliant minds from epidemiologists to biomechanical engineers to data scientists to partnerships like AWS to consolidate and aggregate the vast amount of data that we have about our players in our game to draw insights to further advance health and safety. And so we put together from our insights injury prevention strategies, reducing either concussion or lower extremity. But we also take those insights and we develop innovative solutions to further the health and safety of our game. So how do you get that data, that information about the players? Um, multiple different sources, and that's a great question. So we get it from video. It's amazing how much data you can extract from video, especially when you lay computer vision technologies on top of it. Um, sensors worn by players, and that's both in game and practice. We also have RFID tags, and RFID tags are in protective equipment, your helmets, your shoulder pads, your cleats, and we also track every uh, surface that uh, a player plays on as well. So you can imagine vast amount of data, but it's not only vast amount of data, they're not time synchronized. Your video on an injury, we used to record an injury in a quarter of a game. Now, with the technology that we have built in the cloud, which is what our AWS partnership has helped us to do, we can compute at scale. So what that means for our data points, we're able to take all those different data points coming from numerous different sources, whether that's statistical sources, whether that's the video I referred to, sensors for player tracking, whether that is for protective equipment, and we can aggregate that, but we can time synchronize it with data fusion so that we can create longitudinal records for our players. And when you have a longitudinal record of your players, you have more information or more insights when injuries do happen on how to mitigate those injuries, but also how they optimize performance. So it is um, a vast amount of data. It's not just getting it into the cloud, but in, in an effort to do the type of analytics that we want to do. It's technology as well as um, a lot of different partners and a lot of different intelligence to help us to do so. So when you're getting all that data from video and sensors, is that, and you're 
time syncing it? Is that happening? Like, how quickly does that happen? Um, we hope it's going to be real time, but it's not as real time yet. Okay. But it's um, getting there. It's going to get there. Yeah. Yes, it's going to get there. And that's one of our keys. We're in our third year of our partnership with AWS right now. Um, and I would say when we're building out a technology called pose estimation, that is, is um, a reconstruction of player movement so we can do simulation modeling. Once we start that endeavor, then I think that we'll get to more real time with data points. But it'll take some more time. So you basically can take like a minority report style kind of view of the player's actions on the field and look at it from any angle at any time? Is that Eventually. So yeah. what the digital athlete is by, by I'd say, definition is somewhat of what you just said. Yeah. So it is a virtual 360-degree representation of each and every athlete and their experience. So that's training, that's in practice, that's in game. And what we're looking to do is if you could then model that and do simulation, like infinite number of simulation models, then you would be able to determine when injuries do happen, right, in those infinite scenarios that you can run and when they don't. So what's optimal for performance versus mitigating injury? We're not there yet, but that's where we're headed in the next year. So that's the main goal to try that's to the help prevent goal. injuries. Because football, it's, it's a rough game. It is a right. It's a contact sport. Yeah. Um, it's the most exciting sport with the most exciting athletes and elite athletes. Um, but we have pro proven success on being able to mitigate injury and reduce it. So with our concussion efforts, we started very manual, and we reviewed every concussion via video, 150 variables, understanding what that mechanism of injury is. We had seen behaviors. We'd seen plays. We also had seen that certain protective equipment being helmets, you had a higher rate of injury. We provide that data to our competition committee to make changes to the game. We also provided it to helmet manufacturers so they understood the speeds and location and where the impacts were happening so they could design for a better helmet. We have now 25% reduction of concussion sustained for four years, and we have really stimulated and, in fact, transformed the helmet marketplace where they are, uh, have improved innovation nine times the rate from when we started our efforts. So um, we, it is a context overt, but I think that off of, in fact, I know off of the success that we've had with concussion, there is so much more that we can do. And I think that we're going to be on the new frontier to predict injuries with the simulation modeling I referred to. It's really exciting time. So, so get, get to a point like you're in a game and because you have all this information and simulations, so you could even potentially predict an injury on a certain player. Yeah, and that's what we want to do. We want to be able to predict an injury before it happens. Yeah. Right? So could we save... They're going to love you when you pull them out of the game. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's there's a there's, I mean, there's always a, a countermeasure, right? you got to build the right? trust up with the players. Right, and which is right? what we've done with concussion, yeah. which is what we've done with helmet in the helmet marketplace. Um, but that's true. I mean, there's so much of the work that we do. We have so many stakeholders at each one of the teams that help. They're the conduit to the player. So whether that's strength and conditioning, whether that's the equipment managers, team physicians, athletic trainers, we provide them right now more sophisticated analytics um, and more fine-tuned. One team's analytics, like we're doing risk modeling this year. What does that mean? You're taking the player tracking data with injury data, and what you're able to do with that is management of metrics for load. We, a team, has to pull that together manually. Now that we have this environment that is more real-time, I'm pulling that together, we can consolidate and integrate all of that data in aggregate to create sophisticated models. That a team has a 53-man roster, we're taking it for 32 teams for every roster. 
And so we... So you have, you have more data. We have so much more, more data to more train accurate, models yeah. and makes it more accurate with precision. Yeah. So we're rolling that out right this year to the teams. So what we want them to do is be able to use those metrics for load to manage the athlete to reduce injury and optimize performance. But that is a direct impact that we could have this year. How do the players feel about it? Are they um, aware of all the different things happening? They are. I mean, they got a lot on their mind. They got to win football games. Yeah, you well. know, and coming off of two years of a pandemic, they were also, you know, had to, yeah. yeah. So there was a different focus there. Um, but I think that uh, they're excited about it. I don't want to. There are many teams that do have sophisticated athlete management systems. But what we, the league, can do is, in aggregate, as you had said, build more precise models yeah. to roll them out to them. If one team has proven success and they win the Super Bowl, which is one of the teams that had the best athlete management system, it, it builds up your cred, right? And it validates the work that you're doing. So we hope that they, but it's a lot of education. And it's a really good question because at the end of the day, it's hard to change behaviors. I just want to talk about uh, your background as well. We had a little chat before the interview here. Uh, you, you came from Atari. I did. The video game company. <clears throat> and now you're with the NFL. Like I know. Is would you ever a, think that, that a CFO of a gaming company would lead an innovation platform? Well, right? it's, for, yeah, it's a kind of a yeah, an interesting move. Like, is there any learnings from the the, the video game industry? Um, there are, you know, with what we're building with the digital athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, what we to predict injury, what we will need to do is capture the player movement and motion. Yeah. Think about your pose and your posture with precision and accuracy to be able to predict injury, but also running mechanics. If you see a player in distress because of a certain pose or, or posture and know that that leads to injury, yeah. then you can predict it. Yeah. So there's a precision and accuracy. If you think about gaming, the player motion, yeah. I think that there is a business opportunity there course, yeah. to take our models and our trained models on how we've captured for all of our players the longitudinal record, but the player movement and motion with such precision and accuracy that there could be a business opportunity there as well as many other sports. And then I think there's a ton of other revenue line items as well. Talking with Jennifer Langton, she is the Senior Vice President of Player Health and Innovation for the uh, NFL. Uh, this has been a fascinating chat. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you both. You're back with The App Show, Mike and John in Vegas. Don't forget to tune in to our sister show, Get Connected. Uh, have a great program there as well. You can get more information and the podcast at getconnectedmedia.com. On that program, uh, we talk a lot about uh, some of the cool Amazon stuff happening here and uh, chat with the MLSC, the uh, Toronto Raptors, uh, the Argonauts, uh, and the Toronto Maple Leafs and how they're using technology to uh, get connected with their fans. I want to thank John, Robin, and all the rest of the folks that helped put the program together. We'll see you again next time.